This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. On this week's episode, I'm going to be tackling the question of luck. I mentioned it a few weeks ago when I was covering PDO. This time, I'm going to be looking at expected versus predicted goals above replacement. I'm going to be joined by Andy Hammond from the Broadway Boys Pod. We're going to be talking New York Rangers hockey and why they've been so unlucky over the years. This is Ice Analytics. On this week's episode, I'm going to be revisiting something I talk about on episode 15 when I look at PDO. This episode, I'm going to be looking at luck in a little different way. I know I mentioned offhandedly in that episode that a better measurement of luck would be the difference between expected goals above replacement and actual goals above replacement on a team level. I'm going to dig into that this week. I'm going to put that to the test. I'm going to see if we can't come up with a better way of quantifying luck. I'm going to be joined on this week's Stat Chat by Andy Hammond from the Broadway Boys Podcast. We're going to be talking about the New York Rangers, a team that has underperformed their expectations in this model. And I'm chalking this up to them being very unlucky the past few seasons. We'll be getting all into that on this week's Stat Chat. On this edition of Number Crunch, as I've already previously set up, I want to revisit this idea of luck in the NHL by introducing a different way of quantifying it. If this isn't your first episode, you know that I'm a huge fan of the guys over at Evolving Hockey. On episode 14, I break down the way that they calculate goals above replacement, or GAR, and expected goals above replacement, or XGAR. Just a bit of a refresher, GAR is the number of goals that you score above or below a replacement level player. This is based on a host of factors, but most importantly is actual production, which can be differentiated from expected goals above replacement, which is a different model that includes many of the same things, but rather than actual goals for percentage or actual Corsi for percentages, it's a predictive model that is attempting to kind of guesstimate how many goals above replacement you're going to have based on the talent around you, based on your expected metrics. So there's your recap, quick and dirty version. If you want the full version, go check out episode 14 when I talk about goals above replacement and a beautiful interview with Jay Fresh. Anyway, I digress. So I get this idea back in episode 15 about luck and PDO and and a better way of calculating this. And essentially, why not use the difference between expected GAR and actual GAR as kind of a proxy measurement for luck, right? I mean, mean, it makes sense if we treat this thing on the team level rather than the player level like we do PDO where there's a team number, you know, there's there's a team number for your GAR, your total GAR score for your team. And if we take the difference between your predicted team level GAR score and your actual team level GAR score, um, you know, that, that could be a measurement of luck. I mean, if th- there are some years that there are going to be differences between your actual production and your expected production. And there's a few reasons for that. I mean, for first of all, the model could just be bad at predicting, right? I mean, If you have too big of a difference there between the expected and the actual results, then maybe they're just bad at modeling, right? And that's fair. Although their XGAR model is pretty damn good. If you compare it to the actual GAR model, 
they're capturing about 85% of the variation in actual GAR. They're predicting 85% of the variation. So that that's pretty solid. I mean, you've heard me mention this before in previous podcasts. 85% is a pretty substantial number and really impressive for any model involving people, let alone sports where there's a lot of parity and things that can happen and injuries. So I think we can rule out that it's a problem with their model. I think the other reason, and this is kind of where I'm going with this, that you could have a difference between the expected and the actual is that the model's missing something. You know, it's that 15% of variation that it can't be explained that's in the air term there. And call it what you want to call it. I'm calling it luck, right? I think this is a measurement of luck. I think this is a good way. And and I'm sure there's other things that, you know, they're not perfectly capturing. But hey, I think this is a better measurement than PDO. Couple of sidebars. First of all, it should be noted that their XGAR model is pretty conservative. There's only a handful of teams that performed better in their predicted model than they did in reality. So that's the thing. The other thing is, is that their model does get better over time. I mean, when you look back at some of their expected GAR models back in like 06, 07, they weren't as good as they are today. So they have gotten better over time, which makes sense. With more information, the model gets better and more predictive. So that's a good thing. They're trending in the right direction. I guess down to brass tacks, which teams have been the luckiest and unluckiest if we look at the difference between actual performance and expected performance in this GAR model. Well, it goes back to 2007. So I'm looking at 2007 to 2019 data because I'm saving saving this year's data for after the interview. And the top five teams that, that performed better than expected, 07-08 Minnesota Wild, 13-14 Boston Bruins, 09-10 Minnesota Wild, 13-14 Nashville Predators, and 08-09 Minnesota Wild. What what is going on here with Minnesota? I'll get to them in a second. But first, the bottom five teams, the teams that performed better in the model than they did in reality, which like I said before, it's hard to do because they're pretty conservative. The 1819 New York Rangers, the 0809 New York Rangers, the 1819 Anaheim Ducks, the 1819 Chicago Blackhawks, and the 1415 Edmonton Oilers. And like I mentioned before, they have gotten better and more predictive in their GAR modeling. And we can see this, that three of the bottom five teams in underperforming their expectations were last year. So, couple of observations here. First of all, the Wild are off the charts, both literally and figuratively, in their overperformance of the model. It's insane. Uh, three years that they had that they out, you know, in the top five that they outperformed the model. I mean, we're talking 44.8 more goals above replacement than predicted on average. 44.8 more goals above replacement than predicted on average. I Listen, I know that they used to be evolving wild and they did some work with them and whatnot, but oh my God, they do not have a high opinion of the wild. And it's not necessarily their fault because the model's the model. It's just the the wild for some reason don't fit the uh, the schematic and they're performing way better than anyone expected. To be fair, they've come down to earth the past three seasons, as I mentioned, more data, etc. But still 34 goals above replacement more than expected in the past three seasons, which is only second to the Boston Bruins. So they lost their top spot in the past three years. I mean, Boston's just been insane. They've been off the charts the past three seasons for overperforming expectations. But still, second, they're still second. So Minnesota has a rich history 
of never underperforming their expectations. On the other hand, the New York Rangers have been the unluckiest team, finishing with an average of only five more goals than predicted on average. Five. So compared to Minnesota, who had almost 45 more goals above uh, replacement than was predicted per season, and the Rangers have five. They are one of the three unluckiest teams this year, which again, I'll get to, uh, I'll get to later, currently finishing eight goals above replacement below what was expected. And like I said, the model's been getting better. So last year featured three teams, Anaheim, New York Rangers, and Chicago Blackhawks that all underperformed expectations, three in the bottom five. For the Blackhawks and for the Ducks, it was the first year that they ever uh, performed below those expectations. And some of that may be that the model just got better and got more predictive. Some of that may be they just had a bad year last year. But uh, regardless, they were all pretty unlucky last year. And the team I mentioned earlier that I think is most interesting, a team that was a perennial cup threat at the end of last decade when we first started collecting this data, through the middle of this decade. In the past couple of years, they've been a little bit of a disappointment. But the New York Rangers were perennial cup favorites. Henrik Lundqvist was a perennial Vesna candidate. That team was stacked. And they went to one Stanley Cup. One. It's nuts. So, you know what? I want to get to the bottom of this because I think there is something to be said about this. I, I think that this is a better measurement. Because if you look at PDO, the Rangers PDO does not jump off the charts or anything. There's nothing there that really tells you anything. But this, I think, gives, uh, gives a little bit of uh, more clarity to what's going on. And a team that is as talented as the Rangers because uh, maybe it's maybe they are just a little bit unlucky. On this week's Stat Chat, I'm joined by Andy Hammond from the Broadway Boys Podcast. You can find Andy on the show at Broadway Boys Pod. Welcome to the show. Matt, thank you for having me. Excited, uh, excited to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you and looking forward to getting your thoughts on the Rangers and, and some of the anomalies that I found in their data. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, just right off the hop, I do want to say that if it's even for people that might not be, or Rangers fans more uh, specifically, who might not be uh, as enlightened on the analytics side of hockey, that even just being a, a fan, I think by now, especially with the rebuild, most, most fans have, have uh, learned to see some of the weird anomalies this team has produced over the last uh, almost you know, decade and a half and just uh, the re you know, results versus uh, maybe the makeup of the team on paper. Or, you know, so yeah, I'm excited to get into it and uh, do some digging with you. Well, before we get into the topic at hand, I did want to get your thoughts on the Rangers season to this point in general. You know, this is two consecutive seasons they had with 77 and 78 points. And this year, entering the pause, they've already got 79 points. So they already got you know, more points than they had the last two years in a full season. And they're still 12 games left for them. So generally speaking, uh, what would you say your assessment is of their performance so far? So coming into the season, uh, James, my co-host and I, we laid out our predictions and we predicted that the Rangers would finish just outside of the playoff bubble. Uh, you know, we just, we figured even with the getting a, a player like Artemi Panarin, uh, we just figured the roster turnover being the youngest team in the National Hockey League. Uh, yeah, and just, you know, we we were unsure of whether or not Igor Shesterkin was going to be in Hartford all year or if he was going to get called up at some point. Uh, so, yeah, we figured there would be some improvement based on maybe a, a logical step for some of the younger guys and especially moving out some more uh, problematic contracts over the last few seasons. But ultimately, 
with uh, some of the, <laughs> the the usual suspects uh, that have uh, maybe hampered the Rangers a little bit and just with the roster turnover we we didn't think they would finish the playoffs but I mean you know obviously we've we've saw that Panarin has his the his best season to date Zibanejad despite missing time has a tremendous season uh yeah and Alex I'm sorry excuse me Igor Shesterkin does eventually force uh the front office hand and gets called up uh and he in his stars he is absolutely lights out so yeah I mean it's kind of like you know, they definitely, on some fronts, they exceeded my expectations, but uh, some of the things I thought would be better overall for them, they didn't improve, if anything. Uh, not, I don't want to say they got, they, under, they got worse, but they maybe there were some aspects uh, that they underperformed in for me, but I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, we, we definitely will. Real quick, though, I do want to ask, did, did you have any idea about Fox and D'Angelo having the seasons that they'd have? So I knew Tony could have the season that he had, just because I had seen enough of the flesh of talent, but uh, under Alain Vigneault, the trust clear obviously wasn't there. And then when David Quinn came in, it was more of the same uh, because he obviously saw the the skating and the offensive uh, gifts and uh, the decision-making and the passing. But, you know, in terms of, I didn't think he'd put up as many uh, just uh, goals as he did, but, you know, I at least thought his uh, his play as either as a power play quarterback or just a puck-moving defenseman, he, I thought he, he was definitely... Uh, it was definitely possible for him to put up as many points as he did, but I just didn't think he would ever be given, I guess, uh, the, the minutes, you know, that would be necessary to, to, to facilitate him putting up those numbers. But, uh, this year it was kind of a different song and dance with him and David Quinn. There seemed to be much more understanding. And I do think on some level, D'Angelo defensively, although I don't think it'll ever really be his forte, I did think he was better. So it was, uh, easy for me to see why David Quinn might have been more comfortable with him, especially when, uh, you know, uh, the Mark Stalls of the world and even guys like Brendan Smith who uh, have not fallen out of favor, but I think there's that realization that the, their uh, NHL journeys might be coming to an end shortly. Um, and as far as Adam Fox, I mean, obviously I was very excited. I knew the potential. Did I know he would be this good this early? I, I honestly didn't. Um, I, you can count me as one of the, I never questioned the hockey IQ and the decision-making in the hands, which is just, you know, his, um, sometimes I see him and his patience is uh, otherworldly on how comfortable he is holding the puck until the exact perfect moment before connecting with a teammate or just making the perfect play. But I didn't think he would be this good defensively. Uh, you know, I, I questioned whether or not he had uh, enough explosiveness and dynamics in the skating. But, I mean, he, you know, I think it's a real shame that he hasn't, um, for a myriad of factors, hasn't maybe gotten some of the, the Calder love that uh, Makar and Hughes have gotten. You know, and I'm not saying he's been flat out better than any of them, but I feel like at least uh, if you look at the way his numbers were trending in terms of his ice time and uh, some of the situations he was he's been used in uh, compared to the other two, you might think, wow, there might be something to that. So, but no, he uh, he absolutely blew my expectations away. You know, he's I'd say at the end of the day, he's uh, in my estimation, he's you know the Rangers' best defender as we speak today, just in terms of being from a, a total uh, net impact. You know, so uh, yeah, but he absolutely both both players that you know they they were. Uh, pleasantly surprised me. If that was the, the good news, how disappointed were you in Capo Caco? You know, it's tough because as I, I definitely am a big prospect guy and I, I, I was on the record saying as high as I was on Capo's, um, uh, on his, you know, his, <laughs> I guess, uh, potential, I was a little worried by his first step uh, you know, just the transition to a North American ice, uh, which can obviously sometimes be way overblown, but just, you know, it, uh, just from my, from, my, from my early assessments of what was going on, especially, you know, see him having a hard time producing and then looking, <laughs> seeing that uh, by a lot of uh, 
metrics, it seems that he was rated, he was one of the worst players in the NHL. And I was just like, man. So, but you know, I think, although maybe it's a little disappointing because obviously expectations for him and I'll say for, for Doc and Hughes were so high. Um, and I, I would say, you know, all three of them may be disappointed just a little bit, but you know, it was just one of those things that as the season went on, I liked it. I thought his pace of play got better. I thought he got a little bit more comfortable. You know, he obviously had a, uh, a, you know, a big uh, drought in the middle of the year, but then towards the, until the season was eventually suspended, he seemed to be heating back up a little bit. And even in his worst moments, it seemed that he could flash enough individual skill to produce despite maybe uh, not being a very good defender or five on five possession player. But he had, he had, it's clear to me has enough skill to at least produce when put in you know, the right situations. And uh, I like that he, you know, a lot of his goals comes in tight to the net uh, using his uh, hands and, you know, that, that uh, lateral mobility. So, you know, I, I, it was just definitely disappointing because, you know, people were saying he's going to be an impact player in the NHL immediately. And that could be further from the truth. If, you know, if honestly, he probably maybe could have benefited for some time in the AHL. But, you know, unfortunately, I don't think we'll, that ship may have sailed. But at, I, I will say as disappointed as it was, I did, did for my own, uh, my own fandom, I guess I saw enough flashes of skill and enough potential to at least say, you know what? There's some players, his, you know, being playing in the NHL is tough. Playing in an 18 is extremely tough. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm obviously not far from, uh, you know, I, I, I still think he's got a, a bright future ahead of him. But, yeah, I think it was a little disappointing just give, granted where, um, you know, all the, the talk of his, uh, him being an impact player immediately was. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it has to do with draft positioning, too. I mean, if he was a third-round pick, I don't think people would be as concerned. But being such a high pick, I think there, there were just a lot of expectations from the very beginning. Yeah. And, you know, I don't necessarily know if that's fair. You know, if I think for obviously there's a lot of high picks that come in and they dominate or and they, you know, Eichels and Matthews and McDavid, they come in seamlessly. But, you know, there's your your Barkovs and your Rantanins and these guys that come over and they take a few, you know, they, they might play in the AHL for a while. They they have to get acclimated and then something clicks. And, then, you know, even guys like Leon Dreisaitl, they maybe they have to work on their skating. But they they do that and then they find that drive and then they, you know, they, uh, yeah, and then it all kind of comes together for them. So, you know, prospect development has never really been linear, but, uh, you know, it's obviously when you're getting picked, a lot of uh, teams are hoping that you can make a, uh, an impact almost immediately. And uh, obviously we've seen, at least for this year's draft, that that's uh, maybe not might be the case. No doubt. Well, if we rewind the tape here about five minutes, uh, I remember you opening by talking about your expectations for the team going into the season. And, you know, we're in this pause right now. And unless something happens in the next week before this comes out, I guess that the expectation is the season's either going to come back and be resumed, or if there's not enough time, there could be an immediate playoff type situation. If we do go right into the playoffs, the Rangers are going to miss the playoffs by one point uh, if we use the current standings. And that, that sucks. Uh, I guess, what are your thoughts on what do you think the league should do as far as resuming the season or implementing some sort of modified playoff format? Uh, you know, I've seen that and there I do like I've tried to weigh a few things because there is I I have that duality in me right now that there is that part of me that wants them to be included in whatever happens um if they, if they do somehow resume the post you know the postseason if they let's say they they end the regular season here and they say we're going to seed teams you know the uh, based on like win percentage or if even if though some teams have played more games than the other they'll they'll just cap it at whatever 68 games or whatever everyone was at or roughly and then go based off uh, you know uh, regulation win percentage or something like of that nature but yeah it's hard because I I think at the end of the day do I want the Rangers in the post if the Rangers won let's say they come back they get Kreider back healthy you get Shesterkin ready to go a bunch of the Rangers Swedes have been have access to ice in Sweden so Zabanajad has been skating and they go on a, a run or whatever uh, Shesterkin's lights out they uh 
and yeah, and just Panarin continues to be a uh, top five player in the league and they somehow win it. There's going, I do feel like there's going to be an asterisk next to it. And I don't want to, you know, superficially, I don't want to listen to, if that was to happen as happy as I'd be, I don't want to listen to all my Islanders and Jersey, you know, devil's buddies saying, well, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a fluke. It was a truncated seat. You know, they got, they got gifted and, you know, I don't, I want to leave no doubt, you know, especially as a team that only sent out that rebuilding letter two and a half seasons ago. Uh, I, they have two first round picks going into the draft. So I would like as many uh, kicks at elite talent as I can, because I think as I'm sure we'll talk about coming up that their depth is a little if not a lot iffy right now in term until they can get more, you know, a, a greater influx of talent to their middle six and even their bottom line. So, you know, I, I do think they could definitely benefit from uh, if that, barring them changing the lottery format, get just having a, as many kicks at, at that can as possible. Cause I mean, um, I could, this team with another, even, even if they don't end up maybe picking the top three, there's some really good players and you know, who might drop, you know, between your, your Marco Rossi's and your uh, yeah, your, um, sorry, I'm drawing about, yeah, you're, you're Alexander Holtz, you're Marco Rossi's. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, I think there's that part of me that thinks it's best for them to just not make the playoffs, but have, uh, another, you know, ball for the lottery. But, um, yeah, I mean, as far as what I think the, the, the league should do, I honestly do think they shouldn't do the, the expanded everyone plays in format. I think I would just cap it at a certain number. Let's say it's 68 games or whatever, and then go off whatever win percentage. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's fair. I'm sure there's lots of arguments why that's not fair, but um, if that's going to, they're going to, how, how they're going to do it. I think that might be one of the only ways I could see it playing out. Cause I, I know other teams for every team that's going to be a static, you know, you have so many teams are going to cry cause they're just going to miss it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know of a fair, more a way that would be a more fair way of doing it. But you know, uh, if it were me, that might be what I would do. I'm impressed. I got to say, I, I don't, it's nothing against any particular fan base or anything like that, but, and I don't know what I expected, but your team misses the playoffs by one point. And I know I've, I've seen this with, other fan base i've seen this with uh with uh other other podcasts within the network where people have, like you said that you know i feel like it's a little self-serving you know like they want to change the playoff format because it's going to benefit their team and that's uh i gotta say i'm impressed to hear no i would rather have more draft picks because i trust the process like that is that's that's awesome i appreciate that point of, point of view well yes well you know the biggest thing is that as a rangers fan i've seen a team that you know well right now during the uh, the covid crisis the msg network has been playing years the last possibly two decades worth of rangers playoff games and by watching them my assessments were this were wow lundquist is amazing and wow this is a real nice crew of, of competent bums and i don't mean that in any disrespect to some of the players but especially that cup final team the the individual skill the rangers have at least in their top end players right now between you know, maybe a Buchnevich who's, who's coming into his own, Zabanajad as it stands today, Artemi Panarin, Adam Fox. I don't know, Tony D'Angelo. I don't know if they've ever had this much offensive skill in the last two decades. Yes, obviously, there's, they definitely need, there's definitely pocket holes in their lineup. But when I watch those, that Rangers Cup team, I'm like, wow, everyone's pulling on the same rope, but they get absolutely lost in the gridlock of trying to produce in the postseason or just trying to produce when the game tightens up, when, when the thing that separates you is exceptional talent. You know what I mean? So for me, I watched Lundqvist almost single-handedly win some series that the Rangers had no business winning. And the only reason they won is that he was able to let them get to seven games where that sometimes it's all he could do, but he did it with uh, and so as a Rangers fan, you know, I'm tired of that. I'm tired of giving your first rounders away uh, every year. And just cause Lundqvist, you know, his expect, you know, goal saved uh, above average is always insanely high every year. Although obviously the last few seasons, we finally see a little bit of a slowdown, but 
uh, yeah, I'm just, I was just sick of it. So when the, the, the good thing, but the best thing the Rangers ever did is put that letter out because it tells you no matter, it told the fan base you were going to be bad, but don't worry, it's part of the plan. And to feel like they have their hand on the wheel is a good feeling to see them move on from a, a player in Brady Shea, who was p- probably a little bit overpaid for not coming in, but able to get out from under that contract. I thought that was absolutely great. You know, yes, they resigned Chris Kreider. And I know that made fans upset. I was one of them, mostly, uh, mostly based on the not so much the dollar amount, but the, the term I thought was a little long. But, you know, at least we, I know that Chris Kreider is a very good possession player. Yes, he doesn't put up superstar numbers, but, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, I, I feel like they're, the front office has a plan and that they're sticking to it and they understand that it's not over yet because I've seen this team for the last, uh, you know, the last uh, 15 years, 10 to 15 years, when they get a, a, a sniff of success, Lundqvist is good enough to make them think, oh, we have a real shot at this. When, honestly, outside of him, they probably had no business being in the situations they were. You know, I mean, obviously bearing a few other factors, but that, that might be a gross oversimplification on my part. But yeah, it's the truth and I'm just sick of it. So I would rather, I wouldn't, you know, I think if it's, I would rather things come together naturally and this team just continues on the path they're on. I like the potential of their rookies. I like where they're going. I think if it's a cumulative effect. So I think if Jeff Gordon keeps doing what he does, uh, yeah, I think good things are in their future. Well, I'm here to tell you that some of the feelings you have about the teams underperforming in the past, I, I think that may be a bit of an anomaly because I dug into teams' performance, uh, teams that performed the worst compared to how they were expected to perform. And the yeah. Rangers blew me away because they, show, they showed up four times in the, in the ten, uh, bottom 10 teams uh, as far as uh, performing below expected, uh, expected models since 2007. So 2008-2009 series, uh, season, the 2009-10 season, the 17-18 season, and the 18-19 season. So those two consecutive pairs of years – they performed way below what they were expected. And I'm chalking this up to a little bit of just like the human element, randomness, or bad luck. Because otherwise, the model works pretty well for everybody else. What say you? Uh, what has gone wrong the past, I guess we could start with the past two seasons, unless you want to go back to 08 to 10. Yeah, so I mean, my, so I guess, and when you when you say 08, are you talking about the, you're talking about the 08, 09 season, correct? I would assume. Yeah. So, I mean, my memories of that, uh, was that was a season that uh, Rennie got fired? I think it was like in December or something. Right? And then they brought Torrell in for his first, uh, yeah, his first season as head coach. I mean, I, I have the the roster in front of me just to kind of to to try to summon my my feelings from that time. Yeah, and it's weird because I feel like this the Rangers their pockets of usually their pockets of success uh, have been when something clearly wasn't working and they bring in a new voice. In this case, it's John Tortorella. And I mean, we'd see this maybe a few seasons later when he eventually subsequently got fired and Alain Vigneault was brought in and you kind of see a weird amalgamation of that new voice in the room. And, you know, there's, a, there's a, maybe a bit of a correction of some of the, the things that were plaguing the team, but eventually that correction then may, might become an overcorrection. And I'm sure we'll get to that when we talk about the later seasons. But um, yeah, I mean, cause on, I, I'm looking at the roster for the the 0809 Rangers, and there's some good players, but it's it's uh yeah I, I could definitely see there's a lot of good role players on that team. You know I between Anistimov and Antropov, uh, Blair Betts, uh, you know bottom the bottom six wonder, uh, Korpakovsky, even a, you know young Brandon Dubinsky, and you have Chris Drury, even though he's not the Chris Drury of old as your captain. You know um, yeah, it's just I think it was I really liked the the decor that team had. Uh, you had Michael Sauer before he got concussed by Dion Phaneuf ending his career. Uh, you had a young Mark Stahl pre all the, the concussions and the eye injuries. And I thought, you know, it was a promising young player and you have Mara, 
and Derek Morris, who are maybe not much to, to write home about. But yeah, even Girardi, I think, I forget which season he, I think this might be too early. Uh, he did, he got, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Dan Girardi actually got invited to an all-star game one year. I don't know which, if it was this year or the, or, I think it was like 20, it was like 09 or, or 2010 maybe. But yeah, I mean, but that was kind of how he was seen, you know. So you, Tortorella comes <laughs> in and he's deep at this, 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 in this iteration of Tortorella, I can't really speak to him how he is in Columbus now, but it's, you're, everyone's going to block shots, defense first. But, I mean, under Tom Rennie, things were maybe a little bit more free-flowing. So you have this guy who comes in and kind of brings maybe a little more defensive, more structure and defensive-minded mentality. So initially, uh, I, I don't really have the record in front of me, but my, at least my recollection of that season was that I did like – I thought they, from a structural standpoint, they were very good. Like, I thought they were good at limiting chances, and obviously anything Lundqvist could see at that time, he could stop. But at the same time, I'm looking at their – you know, the, how many goals they, they scored collectively and just, and yeah, it's nothing really to uh, write home about, you know, who was the leading scorer that year? Hold on. I'm probably not. Nat and oh, Jesus. Naslin had 40. Uh, Drury was their leading. No, no. Who is this? Gomez. Scott, I'm, how can I forget Scott Gomez? Scott Gomez was their leading scorer with 58 points. So, you know, not, not much to write home about. Uh, and at that time, you know, you're, so their leading scores were, were Gomez and uh, Drury, I think, had, yeah, he had 56 points. These are guys that were on the, probably in the back nine of their careers. Uh, Jurdov had 58 points. You know, Nick Jurdov was a great player for them. But, yeah, just my recollections of that season is why they, and maybe why they underperformed a bit, is that I felt it was, offense was very hard for them to come by. And I felt that they had a pretty comp, I, you know, they probably had some good middle six talent, but I thought probably their, their fourth line probably had Colton Orr playing more than he should have on it and uh uh yeah even i'm looking like dan frisch yeah so or blair betts probably got a lot more playing time than he probably should be you know relative to how much he can produce so yeah and i mean lundquist what do you finish with sorry excuse me i'm right here uh yeah lundquist finished with all right two 2.43 gaa so yeah i mean um I, you know, I mean, you might be able to tell me why they were uh, better than i would why what happened there but yeah my at least my recollection of it is that that they trying to transition from that new voice in the room that um yeah i don't know if it for what happened if it was just getting used to Torrell because i i know at least in the the seasons to come after that they definitely were able to somehow parlay <laughs> uh yeah parlay uh i guess john Tortorella's tactics into a somewhat winning uh yes yeah, so, you know combination but yeah I, I just don't know if it's the combination i know they had a real poor start you know i think they started that was a year i think they started the nhl had a european showdown series to start the season and they were one of those teams so i you know i don't know i'm just spitballing here i don't know if that had something to do with it with uh the jet lag because i know they 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 started pretty strong and i think they won their first like six or seven games and then after that uh they went on i don't know i think they had a horrible record but yeah i don't know maybe that had something to do with it but yeah i just think uh that combination new voice in the room uh yeah maybe getting acclimated to a, a new doctrine of play for them and then some maybe just a lack of overall offensive firepower even though they probably you know you had a bunch of guys who probably did every little thing right in terms of trying to maintain possession of the puck and get funnel shots towards the net but at the same time just didn't have enough individual skill to finish on those chances i don't know but uh that would might be my guess so if we fast forward to the 2017 2018 and 2018 2019 seasons they those two years also showed up as far as being outliers what happened the last two seasons so we similarly uh we have you know, at the in the uh, the seventeen 
18 season, we have Alain Vigneault getting let go at the end of the, in the very last game of the season versus the Flyers. Uh, and yeah, but I mean, going into that season, I, it was kind of, they hadn't put the letter out yet, but the writing was on the wall that you could see that um, fans were frustrated. I think the team was frustrated with their lack of individual success and they felt like they were backsliding. Um, you know, and that's when they, you know, they start shipping out some of those, uh, their, the core players from that cup run. Um, they had made the Derek Broussard trade for Mika Zibanejad a year before, which obviously proved to be a prescient move. But yeah, I mean, there was kind of rumors all year that this was going to be happening. And I do wonder if that weighed on some of the, some of the Rangers. I mean, I think it's absolutely possible. It was, I don't think it was, yeah, I just think they have always had a, a very high expectations of themselves or at least orga- the, the front the organization puts out is that they're always kind of going for it. Hence why they always spending their first round picks. And when they don't have first, packaging two two seconds for an Eric Stahl or whatever they you know however they try to you know, squeezes of the ketchup bottle they can get so I mean when I th- look at that roster and think about what happened yeah I just think you know I think between shipping some players out that were stabilizing presences uh, that's not even a, word, a stabilizing presence in the maybe in the dressing room um between I think I I have heard subsequently just from little channels that team the team had kind of started to tune out Alain Vigneault uh it was very clear that he was tough on a lot of his rookies. Pavel Buchnevich was constantly, despite being a very promising player, uh, especially if you dive into his, his numbers early on, uh, was constantly finding himself a healthy scratch, just, you know, uh, despite producing when he was put in the lineup, but the, you know, the whole, the, the symbol tongue and dance, the coach thinks he can't trust you defensively. So, you know, you don't get, you see, you don't see any uh, ice time. Uh, yeah. And I just think, you know, Tony D'Angelo, I think was in his first stint with the Rangers and he also limited ice time. Um, based on a similar reason, just not having the trust of the coach. Uh, Mark Stahl getting force-fed minutes is never a recipe for success, as we know. Uh, so, yeah, and I think you, you finally see, until he had maybe a little bit of a rebound this year, Lundqvist find it starting to, the road miles starting to catch up with him a little bit in terms of just the, the playoff series and just facing you know, multiple 40 shot nights. I mean, you know, it just, I think it takes its toll on anyone, much less, you know, you're a number one goaltender who, who, who likes to see as uh, many starts as he does. So yeah, I just think that they, why they might've been unlucky is that I did think that they were, you were starting to get, uh, I remember in limited bursts that the KZB line was first put together between Kreider's Banaj and Buchnevich when they would see ice time together. I know they were a good line, you know, at least back then. And I know that they, it seemed like they always were possessing the puck and were uh, creating chances. So. And yeah, I think they still had, uh, you know, between Zuccarello and Kevin Hayes when he was uh, still here. Yeah, I think they had some good middle six talent. You know, maybe I don't think anyone was an elite talent yet. And I, but I think they still had some good, uh, competent middle six talent. But I just think ultimately it was kind of like a weird, bizarro situation from what we talked about in the 0809 season is that Lundquist, uh, ironically, maybe was finally, yeah, I think it's just they, I know they, they gave up a, a tremendous amount of high danger chances. So I, that definitely didn't help him. And I don't think Lundqvist who usually made r- those stops look routine was uh yeah, I don't think he could, could stand up to it anymore. He just wasn't what he once was. So uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's maybe what happened there. Uh, and you combine that maybe with that season after that, uh, the fact that, like I said, new voice in the room, even though there's a direction, there's a little, you know, there's roster turnover up in the air. Matt Zuccarello uh, eventually gets traded. Um, so yeah, it just, there was, like I said, a more uncertainty roster turnover. Uh, Lundqvist again still over reliance on Mark Stahl uh yeah and I mean yeah I just it didn't seem things didn't seem settled there I I do I uh, excuse me I remember a lot of line juggling and uh, defensive pair experimentation but I think at the same time because they put out the letter and they said we're going to 
find out about ourselves. And David Quinn was basically, he's, you know, he's given a bit of a, a hall pass on this one because it's, it's his first year. Their expectations weren't high, but yeah. So I think they surprised in a lot of ways and they tried to compete hard, but it was definitely, there was a lack of uh, talent, overall talent there. I mean, one of the, one of the thing, things that's very difficult to quantify in any sort of modeling is chemistry, right? I mean, that's something that's very difficult to um, manufacture or, you know, even like, how do you put that into a variable? And I think that I was just having this conversation last week on the episode with the, uh, with John from the Edmonton podcast. And I, so I don't want to say that there's any drastic moves that are needed, but do you think it's, do you think the Rangers need anything or do you think that they just need time and maturity um, and just, to, you know, time to build that chemistry and build some maturity with some of their players uh, in order to get back to the cup? Yeah, I think they, they need two things. One, I think, well, I think ultimately what they, to your point, I think they do need time, but I think the thing, funny thing about time is that it also helps you readjust your expectations. I think they have some players rated, you know, far too lowly, and I think they have some players rated far too highly. Do I think Brendan Lemieux, uh, I, I like the element he brings, and I he has uh, flashed some good individual skill, but I question whether or not he can consistently do that and whether or not he would be better suited in a permanently on a bottom six role. Because I do, you know, David Quinn has been if the type of coach that if he likes your effort, he'll give you, he'll, he'll put you in the top six just to reward you, which I, which I, I understand. I definitely like, you know, especially when you're tech, quote unquote rebuilding, if you want to give young guys the carrot to play well and see what they have, like I totally understand that. But, you know, players like Brett Howden, uh, I know this, the organization is extremely high on and I question his overall hockey IQ. So yeah, I don't know. I, they, it's very clear to me that their middle six needs their younger guys, I think just need to get older. However, once that happens, I don't think some of the guys they think are a lock to round out their middle six. I don't know if that there necessarily should be a lock. I have faith in Philip Heedle becoming a uh, pretty strong second line player. Uh, I don't know if he possesses first line upside, but I think at the very least he can be a very good second line uh, center or winger. I don't know. I don't really know if he's necessarily a good playmaker as much as he is will eventually become a strong possession finisher. But uh yeah, I just think they need time to really see what their young guys are going to blossom into so they can know how to jockey them. Uh, some of the, the, the play, I don't see how they can keep, you know, their bottom six this year uh, was a nightmare, especially their fourth line at, you know, at a time. Uh, Jesus, that's, I think at one time, you know, they had Brendan Smith playing on the wing, who has been a defenseman for the last, uh, you know, majority of his NHL career. Uh, they had, uh, yeah, Brendan Smith and then, you know, they had Greg McKegg at times, who I actually liked McKegg's game when he was in Carolina, but I didn't, from the limited uh, flashes here, I didn't, there's not much, I didn't see there was much to work with. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it just seemed like between Leas Anderson, who, who's struggling, although now he's, he's claiming he was under uh, mental duress. So I, I won't speak to that because, you know, I don't know, he could have been going through something, but yeah, just, it just clearly between the, the young guys on the roster expected, they thought they were being sheltered and maybe roles they weren't suited for or, you know, they weren't given the correct talent to really show what they're capable of. So, yeah, I think this, they, I'm very happy with the Rangers' top six. I definitely think their bottom six needs an overhaul. And I definitely think they're going to need to make some more shrewd moves. I mean, uh, Mark Stahl has one year left on his contract, but there's a, a strong chance he, if, especially if, if compliance buyouts come this summer, who knows, maybe he might be bought out. But, um, yeah, I just think there's going to have to be a lot of, uh, lowering of expectations for some of their their players hence why i think they they should stay the course and maybe try to really make sure they can bank on uh, having two first round picks coming into the draft definitely no i appreciate that perspective you gotta trust that process right yeah 
you know, I, I, again, I don't think there's, I think every situation is unique and it's ever changing. I think Panarin uh, performing the way he has, has definitely in some fans mind, maybe pushed the time timeline forward a little bit, uh, especially con- considering he's 28 years old and there's always going to be a question when you're 28. Well, uh, how much longer will you be at this level you're at, you know, being a heart candid candidate. Zibanejad, um is also, or excuse me. Yeah. Zibanejad is also, I believe just turned either 27 or 28. So yeah, I mean, it's great that these guys are finally entering their prime and they're right in their window, but do you wait for the, the rest of the lineup to catch up? So, yeah, it's it's tough. I, I know it's it's tempting to say, let's just package all these promising first-rounders we get and get some guy who might not have the ultimate upside, but is like a, a pretty serviceable, you know, dangerous uh, second-line you know, scoring winger or center. But, yeah, I, I, they've this organization has done that before. I think it, it honestly just behooves them to stay the course. And I think Igor Shosturkin has really... Uh, help their fortunes. I mean, yes, it's impossible to, it's impossible to, to try to forecast whether or not he will ultimately love up to his expectations, but just based on, you know, my limited knowledge of the position, watching Lundqvist long enough and watching how he makes saves and how he settles the game down and how he doesn't give up rebounds and he's uh, his rebound. And when he does, his rebound control is excellent. I just, yeah, I just think they don't have to worry about that position. I mean, yes, they have to worry about the fact that they currently have three guys sitting in a rotation and how that's going to affect everyone mentally. But other than that, I think they're pretty strong in the back end. They have some promising, they have a promising crop of defensive prospects who haven't even made it to the NHL yet. Uh, and then you have some young, talented guys like uh, Fox and, and Tony D'Angelo, should they still find themselves on the Rangers. Uh, yeah, so I think the future is bright, but I think they need to fix their their bottom six. Uh, and they, yeah, they might need to reassess how they feel about some guys and before they think they're ready to to get back in the mix, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, uh, do you have any any final thoughts on the Rangers uh, going forward or the, or the rest of the season in general? Uh, yeah, I guess my final thought would be that um, from a, just a, a, a strictly a fan perspective, it was one of the more exciting seasons I've watched because it was the first time, in, at least in the last two years, where we were like, it was one. Of, it kind of felt like house money. They kept getting better. They were the youngest team in the National Hockey League, and so early on, they they were struggling. But then, as the season went on, you saw them get a, l- a little bit more trust in Adam Fox and seeing, wow, Adam Fox can really defend, and wow, he's actually starting to get more minutes. And uh, same thing with you know, wow, Mika missed time, but it's he comes back and he's lucky he didn't miss a step. If anything, he just speeds up and Panarin. So yeah, there's a lot of it's it, like I said off the top. There's a lot of promising potential in the organization. Uh, my only concern maybe is I don't know if David Quinn is necessarily the best X's and O's coach in the National Hockey League. So, but you know, I, so far, I think, I don't want to say he's exceeded expectation, but I think he's done a good job. He's definitely good at getting his players to compete. I think I would hope, hopefully, just as the players get better, I hope there's an evolution in his coaching style that at some point he learns to maybe have them. Because I see a lot of uh, rushing of the puck. I see a lot of individual skill being displayed. And it's great that they have the, the talent to do that. But I think, especially if you're going to go far, I think you need to figure out from a systems perspective how to make, how to accentuate your positives and and uh, kind of you know smooth over your negatives. But and I definitely think his style of play right now is that he wants you to be hard to play against all over the ice and to compete. But sometimes you see some of those teams that have been successful in the last few years, whether it's um, but you know Boston recently, although they haven't won the all yet, and then Washington, Pittsburgh. There's an efficiency to their game in terms of creating favorable scenarios whether it was the foot races the area pass foot races with pittsburgh or washington just constantly having that chemistry and knowing where everyone was on the ice to make uh always have passing options and support all over the ice i don't really see that so much with the rangers so i think if they're going to i know that as the year went on their their uh their numbers started getting better from a possession standpoint which is promising but you just hope that 
from a systems perspective that David Quinn can recognize there are things that he might need to adapt as his team learns to be more responsible that maybe they can really make sure that they're all on the same page and pulling on the rope together. So that's my only thought. Well, time will tell. Uh, and as I do with all my guests, I want to give you the floor if there's anything you want to plug or any shout outs you have. Uh, yeah, I guess so. You can follow us on Twitter at Broadway Boys Pod. Uh, like everyone else right now, our, uh, our episodes drop every Monday. So yeah, we just dropped an episode. Uh, I don't know when you're going to be listening to this, but the last episode we dropped, we were, James and I ranked our top, our, each of us gave our top five hockey movies of all time. So that was a fun discussion. So we tried to, you know, obviously mix up between uh, maybe more serious hockey news and speculative Rangers talk, but also we definitely have fun. We have guests on and here for the Hockey Podcast Network. I do uh, a fair bit of uh, content uh, on Patreon. I'm part of Goonline Gaming. So we, uh, yeah, we have our own gaming channel, which is fun. We upload. So I do play-by-play commentary along with Hockey Troll official Caps Chirp. Uh, and yeah, we have fun. We crack some beers open. We, we call our EASHL games of, and we kind of just chirp our our family members here at the Hockey Podcast Network and I have some fun content coming out uh, prospect wise as we soon I'm sure we'll have some more information on what the NHL is going to do about the draft so uh, whenever we do find out I have some uh, surprise content coming out but there is currently a uh, yeah there's a uh, I don't want to call it a mock draft but there's a THPN draft ranking conducted by me and Shane of the Frozen Biscuits podcast on Patreon so yeah if you don't know anything about the draft, but your team has a lot of uh, first round picks or you just, you know, you only have one, but you really want to know who you might be able to set your sights on. Yeah. Give it a listen. Maybe you'll learn something. So yeah, that's on Patreon. And yeah, uh, Matt, thank you so much for having me. This was a uh, great time. It's fantastic. Thank you very much for joining me. Anytime. All right. All right. All right. Let's bring this thing up to date quickly. Wrap this up. Let you get about your business. If we look at this year, 2019, 2020, which teams were the luckiest, which teams were the unluckiest? Let's start with the luckiest teams. The Minnesota Wild absolutely devastated the model to the tune of about 42 goals above replacement, more than was predicted this season. They're followed by the Nashville Predators, Colorado Avalanche, Tampa Bay Lightning, and Boston Bruins around at the top five. In terms of the unluckiest teams, the Detroit Red Wings. And this should not come as too much of a surprise. 30 less goals then their play would indicate above replacement. So what does that mean? Detroit had a historically awful campaign this season. Historically awful. And honestly, based on the way they played, they should have been better than they were. That's what it means. They were by far the unluckiest team in the NHL this year, followed by the San Jose Sharks, New York Rangers, surprise, surprise, Ottawa Senators, and Carolina Hurricanes. So those are your top five luckiest and top five unluckiest teams based on this very specific way of determining luck using expected versus actual goals above replacement. I'm sure there's a million other ways you can quantify luck. I just figured I'd give this one a shot. These are the results, and I hope you enjoyed. If you haven't checked out the charts yet on the Twitter, at Ice Analytics, check out the annual rate charts I'm putting together, and that will actually be the subject of next week's podcast no guests, just me rambling. I'm going to be introducing these annual rate charts to the world, explaining what they are, how I come up with these numbers. It's going to correspond with a Tableau interactive release, as well as a full slate of documentation on the website. If you want to know more about your team performance, going back to 2007, player by player, broken down by offense, defense, power play, 
and penalty kill performance and expected performance. Lots of fancy charts and graphs that I'm going to be throwing out there on the 14th. So I want to take May 15th and dedicate an episode to explaining these, why I developed them, what they are, what they can be used for. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, folks, drink and think responsibly. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Ice Analytics, your source for NHL stats and analysis hosted by the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. You can find me on Twitter at Ice Analytics, and you can find the show notes at www.statsenforcer.com. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to our feed and leave us a review.